Hello, hello. This is this is Dr. Herfenstefner. Do do I have Paul on the line? Hi, hi. It's Paul. Ah, Paul. It, it's we've connected on the line. That's great. That's great. Excellent. It, it's wonderful that we can still have our session through the magic of technology, even with this rotten pandemic floating around out there. It's terrible, sir. Terrible, I tell you. I agree, Dr. Healthy Distance. It's great. But anyway, I remember last time I was telling you about how I was reading these comics and then it was going into my dreams and I, I couldn't, you know, separate it at all. And... Yes, yes. Let's let's continue with that chat, Paul. Let's, let's have you still having these dreams affecting your daily life? Yeah, so all these superheroes are fighting in my dreams. I don't know what your brain's doing. Sounds like it's opening a bit of a Pandora's box of stuff. Not good stuff there, Paul. Continue, continue. What else happens? Well, uh, there's that guy with no face. He's, he doesn't have a face. Ah, uh, y- yes. T- tell me tell me about this man with no face. Well, that's the question, isn't it? Right. Uh, but the, the man with no face, well, where does he come from? Well, each question leads to another question, generally. Tell me, Paul. Okay, so um, the man with no face, who, who do you think he represents? Who do you think he is, specifically? Oh, that's the third question. Uh, I'm sorry, Paul. I'm getting a lot of static, uh, and I think I better go because you're breaking up. Um, okay, we'll continue this another time when you can answer my question properly. Don't let your eyes tell the brain. You should feel ashamed. Everyone needs it, baby And I feel the same Didn't quite catch on me Hush, hush, hush Don't say a thing Let's see what the night will bring It might be everything Too blind to see Please don't read my mind I tell the truth to me Sand, sand, sand Look where we've been And where we are tonight Hello and welcome to DCOCD The DC Events Podcast Where we're talking about every single DC event From Crisis on Infinite Earths on up in order year by year and we have reached 2013 which brings us to the new 52 event the trinity war and i am joined today by my friend mike garvey from waiting for doom and the gary show hello everyone thanks for joining us and dc ocd i guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we are also joined by scott x so um yeah scott is well how would you describe yourself scott i believe you're a, a historian and a scholar and an aficionado of all things lincoln is that correct well, that's that's probably true. That's very kind, and I hope that I have a little bit of pop culture uh, acumen as well. You know, I've, I've come across, I've crossed the void. I'm now uh, excited to be in the waiting for doom corner of the podcasting multiverse. So, um, hopefully, I can I can bring a little something to to the crew here. 
Yeah, well, you read comics, and that's good enough for us. And you read these ones, so... <laughs> as far as you know. No. <laughs> tick, tick, all that while I'll just hover over yeah. that second check mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we are looking at the Trinity War, which, well, technically it actually started in 2012 with the free comic book day special, which um, was basically mm. a big tease for something coming, and then they uh, wrote it the next year. And it was written by uh, Jeff Johns, Jeff Lemire, and Ray Fawkes, and J.M.D. Mateus, uh, with lots of lots of art by Ivan Race, Doug Monkey, Christian Alamy, Ocler Albert, Xander Cannon, Keith Champagne, Mikel Jannon, Vincent Suentes, Mark Deering, Eber Ferrara, Gene Ha, Jim Lee, Tom Newen, Joe Prado, Kenneth Rockefort, Scott Williams, and Patrick Zercher. And it was lettered by Sal Cipriano, Taylor Esposito, uh, Travis Lanham, Carlos Mungle, Nick Napolitano, Desi Santier. And there were colours by Brad Anderson Blonde, and Jeremy Cox, and Gabe Eltab, and Nathan Earing, Hi-Fi as well, Art Leon, Marcelo Maiolo, and Pete Pantazzi, Rod Rice, Alex N. Keller, and it was all edited by Dan DiDio, Will Moss, and Brian Cunningham. Repeat that ten times fast. <laughs> Glad I wrote them all out. And that's all the time we've got for this episode, so thanks <laughs> Yeah, so technically, I mean, it's a hard event to track because it doesn't sort of start very neatly. So some of the... I, I really feel like it's the event that's primed if you have read all of Justice League Dark and all of Justice League of America and all of Justice League. And, mm. uh, yeah, but... Um, principally, the story really kicks off in issues 19 and 20 of Justice League, and then it continues into 22 and 23. Uh, it's carried through in Trinity of Sin Pandora, 1 to 3, uh, Justice League of America, 6 to 7, though really you could read all of the Justice League of America leading up to it. Uh, Justice League Dark, 22 to 23, Constantine, number 5, and Trinity of Sin, the Phantom Stranger, 11. So, Scott, do you want to have a stab at telling us what it is all about? I will have a stab. You know, for a relatively small number of issues here, as you described, relative to some of the other events we've had, um, this one it was kind of hard to distill down into a plot summary. So I hope I made it a reasonable length here. So, but no promises. So here we go. The story begins 10,000 years ago. Just what you want to hear when you have a condensed plot summary, right? <laughs> anyway, our story begins in prehistoric village in Macedonia. A young woman goes into the woods to search for berries to heal a sick family member, but finds something else instead. A box of sorts. A box in the shape of a three-eyed skull. Her curiosity gets the best of her, so she reaches for it and picks it up. When she touches it, it spews forth energy and unleashes the seven deadly sins. Gluttony, pride, greed, sloth, wrath, lust, and envy. And so it begins. For her crime, this woman, named Pandora, is summoned to the Rock of Eternity for judgment at the hands of a council of wizards. The wizard Shazam apparently being first among them. But she is not alone. There are two others here to be judged. The wizards have deemed these three to be the greatest transgressors the world has ever known. The wizards call them the Trinity of Sin. The first of the three begs for forgiveness but goes unheard. Judgment is passed. He has 30 pieces of silver bound around his neck his hair turns a stark white. He is cast from the rock of eternity, his sentence to walk the earth as a stranger and witness what greed can do. The second defies the council and threatens them, stating he will kill them all, and they will fear his name, as does all the world. His sentence, too, is passed. His name and memory will be removed from all the world, as well as from his own mind. And his name and memory, as his name and memory are wiped away, so is his face. He, too, is cast from the rock, left forever to question his identity, and search for answers that he will never find. 
Lastly is Pandora. She does not beg or threaten. She simply asks what she did wrong. But for her crime, the opening of the box, Pandora is cursed to wander the sin-filled world alone, undead for all eternity, so that she may witness the ruin that she has brought forth. And witness she does. But over time, she tires of witnessing and desires to do more. She seeks out those that can train her, that she might gain the knowledge and skill necessary to defeat the evils that she has unleashed. She hopes to atone for her sin. Finally, after millennia, she is ready to fulfill her vow to destroy the seven deadly sins. Suddenly, she is transported into the presence of the wizard Shazam. The dying wizard begs her to listen. He explains that he and the council had been foolish and were wrong. Their judgment of her was unwarranted. They tried to help her by imprisoning the seven deadly sins, but they had failed, and the council was in turn destroyed. He tells her that though they did not create the box, his divinations indicate that, that she must access the power within it to end the curse. He goes on to say that the only, only the purest or darkest of hearts could open the box. He then disappears as a bolt of lightning juts from the sky and strikes him down. Pandora will do as the old wizard asks. If she must, she will use the box to purge the world of sin. She has noticed over the past few years the appearance of a new kind of mortals, superpowered mortals. Some of them surely have the purest of hearts. Now she has a plan. But in a world of superpowered mortals, others have plans as well. And those plans, too, are being set into motion. A mysterious figure sneaks into the Batcave and steals a kryptonite ring. The ring is eventually recovered, but it is discovered that a small sliver of kryptonite is missing. It is also revealed that the newly formed Justice League of America has been assembled specifically to take down the previously established Justice League, should it be necessary. And one of the Justice League's newest members, Rhonda Pineda, the new Adam, is a plant. And she, in fact, is working for the Justice League of America. Things escalate from there pretty quickly. Pandora looks to implement her plan and finds Superman and Wonder Woman. Thinking Superman pure of heart, she asks him to open the box, which she has stolen from Argus's black room. When he touches it, he is corrupted and starts to fight. The box is knocked from his hands. Pandora scoops it up and disappears. Elsewhere, the unassuming Billy Batson, having newly, been newly granted the power and name of Shazam, goes to Kandak to spread the ashes of his recently defeated foe, Black Adam. But the Justice League goes to stop him from entering the country. And, of course, the Justice League of America are dispatched to stop the Justice League. Conflict ensues. In the midst of the fighting, Superman's heat vision fires a blast killing Dr. Light, a member of the Justice League of America. Then they fight again for a while while Superman screams for them to stop and for them to lock him up. He doesn't know what happened, but he doesn't want to hurt anyone else. The fighting stops, and Superman is taken into custody. Both teams head back to the United States, and Superman is placed in a cell. All this happens while someone is watching. A person who we learn is called the Outsider. It is he who, with the help of a so-called secret society, has put in motion a plan to, among other things, set the Justice Leagues against each other. But what is his endgame? That has yet to be revealed. Also watching what is happening and seeing some of what will happen is Madame Xanadu. She is doing a tarot card reading for someone who, unfortunately, is a member of the Outsider's secret society. That society member ends up blowing up the good Madame's residence and taking her captive. Now, of course, it is discovered pretty quickly that Superman is not at fault for killing Dr. Light, and also it seems that he is sick and getting sicker. But what's the real story? What is the exposure to the box that led Superman to killing Dr. Light? Was it influence from the villain Dr. Psycho, who was also in Kandak at the time, or was it something else entirely? By this time, John Constantine and the Justice League Dark have entered the picture. After another brief fight between leagues, Constantine talks Shazam into going with him on a different mission. Phantom Stranger and the Question both show up, after some, inter addition, some additional inter-team conflict and fighting, which sows more seeds of mistrust, the teams reshuffle and split up to follow leads as to what may have caused Superman to kill Dr. Light. 
Elsewhere, the outsider gloats to the captured Madame Xanadu about how well his plan is going. He goes on to reveal that not only does he have the secret society working for him, he has a mole inside the Justice League itself. Well, for the most part, all the various leads that the different Justice League teams have been following up turn out to be dead ends, and Argus gets blown up by a society-planted bomb. After failing with an attempt to get someone pure of heart to open the box, Pandora decides to try someone with the darkest of hearts, Vandal Savage. That too fails. Wonder Woman eventually catches up with Pandora and acquires the box, which then promptly corrupts her. Then more fighting commences. Shazam has returned to the fray, and he grabs the box from Wonder Woman. Now drawing from his magic, it corrupts not only Shazam, but begins to corrupt all the heroes in proximity. They continue fighting each other like a free-for-all pro-wrestling match until Constantine shows up again and picks up the box. Apparently, he can hold it because he's already a corrupt individual. Zatanna transports the two of them to Madame Xanadu, whose location they have divined. The Justice Leagues are not far behind. They arrive and try to take the box from Constantine. And you guessed it, fighting amongst themselves again occurs. (laughs) Suddenly, Superman collapses and the box goes dormant. The team then realizes that Superman is suffering from kryptonite poisoning. Not only that, but there is a microscopic sliver of kryptonite embedded in his brain. The mole stands revealed. It is none other than Ronda Pineda, the new Adam. It seems that five years ago, the Justice League's battle with Darkseid weakened the barriers between this universe and another. The Outsider and the Atom, known as Atomica in her home universe, escaped from their universe to this one, but the Outsider's master and the others of their kind did not make it. The Atom, slash Atomica, goes on to share how she had taken a sliver of kryptonite stolen from that ring, and that during the fight in Kandak, she had entered Superman's brain. She jammed the sliver of kryptonite into a nerve and left it there. It was that act that triggered Superman's heat vision and killed Dr. Light. She also reveals that Cyborg has been infected with a sentient virus called GRID. GRID activates and excises the human portion of Cyborg and takes over his mechanical shell. The Outsider steps out of the shadows and states that it is now time to open the box. Pandora's box, which is based on science, not magic. It came from another universe, and it could only be opened by someone from that universe. He activates the box, and a portal is opened. Through the portal steps the Outsider's master, Owlman, along with Ultraman, Superwoman, and the crime syndicate of Earth-3. And so they begin their mission, to make this world their own. To be continued in forever evil. Wait, what? (laughs) To be continued in another event? No worries. We'll be talking about that. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Red Herrings, the comic. Yes, exactly. I have those exact words in my notes. <laughs> Red Herring, I love that guy. <laughs> <sighs> smells a lot better than pickled herring, too. <laughs> well, that was an excellent summary. Thanks, Scott. Mm, so, um, yeah. yeah, a lot going on, and a lot of it is people on the wrong track doing the wrong thing. Um, do either of you think this is a, a puzzle that the readers could have unpicked as they were reading it at all and got ahead of? Or do you um, think it was just impossible? I think it was possibly a puzzle with a few pieces missing um, because, it, Scott, exactly, when the finale says to be continued, it's like there's no real closure to yes. uh, Trinity War as a as as an event or a story itself, which is like, hey, guess what? This is basically part one for the next big thing. Um, and I have questions about, uh, okay, who do you think it, uh, uh, in issue uh, 19 of Justice League, where someone sit, breaks into the Batcave and steals the kryptonite that uh, the new Atom ends up using on Superman? Who do you guys think that was? It's the Outsider. The Outsider. 
you guys think it was the outside? Hey, the, well, the it, outside looks pretty buff. In those yeah, well, that was, I had that in my notes. It has to be the outsider because the way he made it through the security systems was he was Earth 3 Alfred. So it yeah. read him as Alfred, so he was able to circumvent all the DNA profiles and all that stuff. But yeah. I thought the same thing. I thought, well, suddenly he looked, He must have a pretty buff suit. He must be wearing <laughs> Ch- yeah. Shazam suit from the movie because he buffed himself up quite a bit to, to get in there compared to as we see him later. Well, I was just going to say, you know, kind of going back to the, the puzzle part, too, because I think all these are pieces of that puzzle that, that you said, too. I, I felt like this was a it was sort of one of those uh, Agatha Christie novels where there's some pieces of the puzzle that can help you figure it out. But until the end, there's one big piece that's missing. So you can't quite get there without that piece. Hmm. Yeah, I, I remember when the first time I read this, it was like it was really compelling. And I think it sort of. It doesn't feel like an event because it really is just a continuation of the Justice League stories. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't have a traditional event structure where, you know, you get a fairly blank slate at the beginning and it explains, you know, this is the setup for this event and these are the, you know, the stakes and everything. You get none of that. You really just have to, you know, roll with what's been happening in the story before and characters showing up and, you know, there are so many characters in it and, um, mm-hmm. One thing that struck me, you know, because I haven't been that immersed in the New 52 recently, is that everyone is just slightly off from the characterization you expect because they're New 52 versions. So you've got a very aggressive Wonder Woman, you've got, um, you know, some naive Firestorm. You know, no one is really super experienced. Um, Yeah, and I would have really loved to have seen this story take place in, you know, an unrebooted, unrebooted universe, like if it had taken place, you know, a few years down the track from uh, Infinite Crisis. It, I think mm-hmm. it would have really rocked. Um, but, yeah, it, I mean, it really is just setting up the first big New 52 story with uh, three villains. And Yeah. Yeah, for that reason, it, yeah, it, it is an unsatisfying ending, but it does make you go, ooh, I want to read what's coming next. Um, so in that case, it really is the you know countdown to uh, Forever Evil. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think it's in part five of this event, which is Justice League Dark 23. There's even a full-page ad there for Forever Evil. Yeah, um, and it's kind of like, hang on, wait, what? And then when you turn to the the final two pages in the book itself, it's got all those villain month covers uh, with all the bad guys on them. Another two page ad there, and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not even done with this thing, and we're already yeah. immersed in the next. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least from a, at least from a house ad standpoint. And yeah, they've been hyping this up since yeah the free comic book day of, yeah. of 2012, and. Uh, I've got to admit, when New 52 came around, that's that's when, like, um, I was really getting into DC stuff, sort of the, the new stuff and, and the old stuff as well. And I was like, okay, this is going to be my big first proper DC event. I was super excited. Uh, and, I, yeah, I was getting, like, all these series, and I was really pumped for it. But looking back at it now, it's kind of like, yeah, that's right. I must have blanked out the disappointment <laughs> from my memories <laughs> at the way it finished because I, I remember really enjoying forever evil but yeah this is kind of just like the opening act to that and it's a little bit frustrating mm. yeah i agree and there but there was some cool stuff in this too i mean oh yeah i liked i liked i liked like and paul you mentioned this the mystery the sense of mystery and trying to find things i really liked that in the story generally speaking so i really liked that that aspect um i liked the idea that we saw a little bit from element woman here 
she's someone yeah. that I really liked, and I thought she was underutilized. I liked that. I yes. liked the character of Atomica, as we found out about her. I liked that we had Firestorm showed up in this this you know story a little bit more than I was intrigued, like you guys said, by the addition of some more Earth three villains. When they finally came through in the very end, we got to see Sea King fall through. We got to see <laughs> Death Storm. We got to see some other Earth three Justice League analogs, which intrigued me. Um, I liked some of the Silver Age references throughout. You know, in in the Silver Age, um, Alfred. Batman's butler did turn into a, a villain called the outsider for a couple issues. So that's where this came from. They revisited that. They talked about Starro, Professor Ivo. They had the trophy room with the giant chess set from justice league. Number one, mm-hmm. they were fighting a, they were fighting a gold robot from an early issue of justice league. So again, even though this is the new 52, they're sort of throwing things into continuity that occurred in the old continuity. Yeah. So I did kind of, I did kind of like that. We're now, the new 52 kind of didn't have its its history, but they were at least putting something into it that had a little bit of history. So mm. there was a couple little humorous things, too, that I liked. Um, when Pandora was with Luther, Luther, she goes off on this thing, and Luther just looks at her and goes, do you ever listen to yourself? Do you guys even <laughs> listen to yourself? Which I thought was hilarious. She was pontificating about something, which he does all the time. He, he was so unimpressed by her just materializing yes, exactly. out of thin air. He was like, if you think expect me to be excited and, and in a state of awe and wonder, you're about to be disappointed. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then when they finally came through, um, the outsider, a.k.a. Earth 3 Alfred, kneels down at Owlman's feet and said, I've done it, Master. I've brought you through and he, he just looks and says what took you so long you know it took you long enough or whatever <laughs> you know like thanks a lot you know so i did like those things yeah <laughs> i am an absolute sucker for a um a traitor in the ranks story oh I, me too i, I love, love that. that stuff yeah 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 so i really enjoyed that yeah, it, it's at first it's like, oh, I'm actually working for the the Justice League of America. Oh, I'm actually working for the Crime Syndicate. It's like, what? Yeah. That was a good moment. I <laughs> yeah, did enjoy sort of, that. Yeah, it was sort of the old double agent thing too. Mm. Double, I mean, just really a lot of subterfuge going on there. Mm. Mm. What was your favorite bits, Mike? Um, the bit where the heroes fought the other heroes. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I did in particular like, uh, I believe it's in part six, uh, where the, there's uh, the other, out, uh, the other, the outsider is giving a bit of a recap about, you know, world history with those, those Silver Age moments as well. Uh, but there's also uh, in that same part, uh, which is Justice League 23, uh, there's a beautiful scene where Constantine has Pandora's box uh, and basically every other hero in the story comes charging after him. <laughs> And it's, 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 you have to rotate the book to, to actually view it properly. Um, but I love that, that splash page there. And they're all just in constant scenes like, Ooh, heck. <laughs> it's like every hero is there to get him. But I think my favorite part is, is part one in its entirety because that, I think that was a really well done introduction to the story. And there was a, for me, there was a real sense of, of tension and, and menace. Uh, and, you know, the, the opening salvo with Shazam trying to do, you know, kind of the right thing by Black Adam and, and, and bury his ashes in, in Kandak. And then the Justice League turn up and say, yeah, you're not actually allowed to be here in the country. And then the Justice League of America turn up and say, yeah, you guys aren't meant to be here either. <laughs> and, it all, <laughs> and, and it all just escalates from there. And like as you're turning the pages, it's, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And then when Soups kills Dr. Light, you're like, what the heck just happened? Uh, and it, I... I 
love that issue in particular of, of this storyline. Um, also, for me, loving the art, I love it when comic book covers form a giant poster when they're put together. And this happens yes. twice in this <laughs> yes. series, with the, the first three parts showing the massive hero fight, uh, and then the, the last three parts showing them all reaching out for Pandora's box. I love it when comics do that. So yeah, those, those covers were just so well done. I oh. had that in my notes for the art, but I, I totally agree with you, Mike. I love that when covers do that, when they're planned out, and they're so effectively executed as yeah. these ones were. Yeah. It's the summer of Mike. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first with yeah, Rotwell did it, and now this event's doing it as well. Thank you, DC Comics. Much appreciated. <laughs> and you have Forever Evil coming up. I know, and you were you were on fire. I was. Yeah, I, I have to admit, as as much as the New Fifty Two gets, you know, uh, its fair amount of you know negative flack, I I was really coming into to DC at this time, uh, and I was really excited for it. So you know, this story and Forever Evil, I have a special place in my heart because they were such big, um, exciting events, and it's kind of. With my scoring for this, it's been interesting because I've been a little bit torn because <laughs> back in the day, I enjoyed the heck out of all this stuff. Now, looking back at it with a little bit more um, time between then and now, it's kind of like, um, that bit's maybe not so good. So it's it's been an interesting reread, I have to admit. Mm. It really is just a setup for Forever Evil. So the impact uh-huh. and legacy of this one is, you know, roll on into the next event. But yeah. Um, one little uh, moment that I really enjoyed was seeing Signal Man being used by oh, the yeah. society, and you know he's tapping into you know the events that happened previously and explaining it and detecting signals and saying you know there's something otherworldly here, and that's that's also a little hint that um, vibe drops a couple of times that I'm you know sensing something from not from this dimension, um, mm. and it's quite easy to miss it if you don't know what's going on before you read it, but uh, yeah there are little clues there. Um, right. I don't, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I don't think you can get all the pieces of the puzzle, um, but it would have been a fairly fun one to speculate over, um, even though it happens very fast and over a few titles in, in a couple of months. You know, it's yeah, there would have been some some breadcrumbs there for you know discuss at least. I mean, um, you know, that's one of the fun fun things about reading comics as they come out is you know speculating about where things are going and what's going on. So, mm-hmm. and this one is is actually going somewhere. It's not you know. But, uh, yeah, there are so many red herrings. Like, all the teams are chasing down the wrong reason, the wrong person, the wrong thing. And, you know, they're all thinking that uh, Superman's been corrupted by the box and or that, um, you know, Superman's been turned evil and that's why he killed Dr. Light. And, you know, interesting that he used Dr. Light. It's like, he's a character everyone loathes. Let's kill him. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it's not the same version of Dr. Light. (laughs) And and I like this version. I I really, as we get into the later discussion, we'll talk about that. He was one, I would have, I was interested in, I want to learn more about him, but no, he was done pretty quick. They mopped him up pretty, pretty fast. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and then it was interesting too like you said they go on this search we have to go to the afterlife and find Dr. Light to see what he knows and they get him out of there no, I don't know anything okay well we'll close them back up and head out again you know <laughs> just like sort of okay well that was a that was a that didn't work move on yeah and there's a little side trip where um, Constantine swaps bodies with uh, well swaps voices with Shazam um, and I still don't know why that happened I mean, I mean it, it was interesting but I don't know how it fits in <laughs> Yeah, I felt, I felt like I just had to take them out of the fray for a little bit so they could come back in at opportune moment, moments. It was it was just a almost like a plot-driven thing. Mm. Mm. Yes. It was only for the plot, and then then gave Constantine a couple issues to continue with his story. 
And then at the end of that, I think it was like issue eight of Constantine, he kind of go, oh, that's right. That's going on. Well, I guess I better get back over there and help. That's basically <laughs> what happens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, I mean, it's it's fun seeing all these characters mixed up together and, uh, yeah. you know. There's so many new characters in the mix, and as you said, Element Woman's fantastic, and mm-hmm. you know I really love um, uh, Lady Adam or Atomica as she's actually known. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a great little character, and she's evil. And go, oh, she <laughs> <laughs> I I still have yeah. There are still pieces of the puzzle that still puzzle me, and I still have questions about like the the the, the box itself. You know, if it's a portal to Earth three then why did it only release the evil spirits when it was first opened? And and where did it come from? And how did it get there? And, but I know, you know, it's kind of glossed over. And, and it, as you said, Paul, it moves very quickly. And it's just, it's essentially just to get to Forever Evil and to set up Forever Evil. Um, because part of my problem with revisiting the plot is that... Uh, the way I see it is that the Outsider and Pandora have the exact same goal of opening the box, um, and there's all this other stuff going on to distract from that, which mm. I found really frustrating. It's like it could have ended a lot quicker, and yeah. Um, so yeah, it, as fun as it is with all the characters and all the the running around and all the chasing and seeing everyone who t- well everyone other than Constantine touching the box getting corrupted. Uh, and then going berserk and fighting everyone. Actually, there's a really cool scene where Zatanna, um, who does she cast a spell on? Herself, Stargirl, and there's a third one whose name escapes me. When they're trying to capture the box, uh, and, you know, they're fending off all these other heroes, that was a really cool scene as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah, it's, there's so many cool moments, but like, when you get down to it, it's like, you know, the outsider could have got the, to the box and got it opened and achieved his goal a lot quicker <laughs> without any of this stuff. Yeah, I had yeah, that. Exactly. I, I had that in. I had a lot of those same things in my notes, Mike, and, and that's why my, you you'll see my writing score reflects that, and, and that's why there's just still a lot of questions that I felt like didn't make sense, that were plot holes, or it's sort of that Alfred Hitchcock thing. Sometimes the closer you examine the specifics of those things, it doesn't hold together as well. Yeah. We're just more meant to fit, fit, focus on the big picture. That, you know, yeah. if you if you examine it too closely, there's places that it falls apart. Like you said, on a bigger thousand foot view, it was a fun story. Yeah. yeah. For me, it didn't hold together as well when I reread it and kind of examined things a little bit more closely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like a good reason to start the scoring discussion at this point then. Mm-hmm. So the way we score is um, we get well, the three of us. Um, so I'm going to be the semi today again because that just seems polite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you Aussies are all so kind. Oh, we are. <laughs> We've got four different categories. So there's eventiness, like how eventy is the event. Um, then we do the writing, how well written is it, uh, the art and covers, and then the impact and legacy. And uh, we can give these a possible score out of 10. Uh, you two gentlemen will end up with um, the majority of the score, and I will hive mine, which will give us a potential total of 100. So does that make sense to everyone? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Good. Well, it is episode 41, so hopefully people yeah. <laughs> know the deal. If not, too late now. <laughs> yeah, so Scott, what do you think of the eventiness? Eventiness. This one I was torn on. Um, I, I love the fact, I mean, we, we, we talked a little bit about this, but this was seeded already starting in Flashpoint number five, 
where Pandora appeared there. Mm. She appeared in a cameo, cameo form, in every single number one issue of the first and second wave of the New 52. Every one of those issues, she appeared in a cameo. Mm -hmm. That is a lot of promotion and a lot of buildup. Lots of it. We heard about the Trinity of Sin. We had a free comic book day story that promoted this event, not the one that directly follows, even though they were back to back. The new comic book day promoted this one. Mm -hmm. And then comes the series. And as we talked about, the main story was really only in the three Justice League books. We had some event. We had some tie ins. And the event itself was actually titled Justice League Trinity War. And it was, the main part was six issues. Um, as I mentioned, there was a couple other banner tie-ins, which Paul mentioned effectively at the beginning. And I, I felt like in the end, and we'll talk about that when we get to the impact and legacy, but it kind of fizzled as an independent event. Um, it seemed like it led into an event that had a much larger scope um, from there. So in the end, I give my eventiness marks is for the lead-up and promotion because it got me interested. I wanted to read this story because of everything that it promoted, everything that it had, and the story itself was interesting. And as we just discussed, there did seem to be quite a bit of filler, and in the end I found it uh, sort of an unsatisfying resolution. I was excited to read the next story, but as looking only at this event, it had an unsatisfying resolution. So for me... I gave it a six, and that was based almost entirely on the promotion of the event that was big, and it made, it certainly made me want to pick it up at the time. Mm. What about you, Mike? My score is probably a bit more <laughs> based on the happy nostalgia feelings. Uh, <laughs> I gave it a nine because, t to me, this was a big damn event. It, it's involving all the Justice League books. Uh, it's involving just about every hero imaginable in the New 52 at the time. Um, and it was a really exciting point in my comic book history, I, I guess. Um, and, and yes, it um, it did turn out to be more of like an intro to the next big event. Uh, but but still, it, I think it's a, a, a great, big, you know, fun romp. Uh, well, not really fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the scale of it. Uh, you know, it's it's just got heroes everywhere. Um, it's got, a, you know, an interesting mystery, uh, which, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm giving it a nine. Hmm. Yeah, I, well, I'm probably with Scott in that I think uh, as an event, it, does have some obvious filler, um, but it's fairly entertaining filler. Um, it does do a fair bit with the scope of the New 52. Um, but yeah, as an event, I find the structure of it is um, in sort of opposing what is typically required of an event in that, you know, there's a clear start and a clear finish and it's a self-contained thing. It, it really isn't self-contained at the start. It isn't really self-contained at the end. And... The setup with the Trinity of Sin is very strange. So, the, you know, the Pandora's box opens. It's got the seven deadly sins in it, which are typically, you know, Shazam-associated characters. Yeah. And um, that's her mission in life, is to basically atone and, you know, contain them. Even though it wasn't really her fault, she was just a dupe and she was punished for it and was cursed to, you know, roam the earth forever and then got some cool weapons... And she actually fulfills her mission in the middle of this. She starts killing off the Seven Deadly Sins. And, you know, that's like issue three of her comic and her complete reason for being is sort of solved at that point, which is really strange. And plus you tie, uh, you throw in the Phantom Stranger, who's a person who was also cursed at the same time as her, and he is um, 
yeah, I don't know what his deal is. He seems to be the Phantom Stranger of the original comics, um, with just a, a more pinned-down origin, perhaps. And you've also got the question, who is now a guy who can't remember who he is and is cursed to solve questions. And so he asks questions and then he has to pursue the answers. And, you know, I you know, I love the original question. So this third version of the question, after you had Renee Montour as well, mm-hmm. is um, the weakest question ever. <laughs> the least compelling, the least interesting. So, yeah. And I agree with that. And the Phantom Stranger... And the question, although they were two of the members of the Trinity of Sin, they really didn't appear that much in this story. They did; they had little parts to play, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, again, that detracted for me from an eventiness. If it was based on this Trinity, I felt like all three of them should have had a bigger role yeah. in the story. Yeah. Yeah. And they play very hard and uh, fast with the uh, you know concept of Trinity. Is, you know, is it the Trinity? Is it the three yeah. Justice Leagues? Is it the Trinity right. of Sin? And at the end, yeah. they go, oh, it's actually Earth 3. That's the real Earth Trinity. Three. And, right. Yeah. Surprise. And that's an answer to a question <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give it a six for those reasons. Uh, what about the writing, Mike? Um, okay, I gave the writing a seven. I think overall, the writing's probably i mean it's i still enjoyed it it's still a good event uh but for me the writing is a little bit weak uh so i'm giving it a seven um there's a semi-decent mystery about the truth behind pandora's box and uh you know what it's going to take to get it open but that gets kind of muddied under all the countless hero fights so it's kind of like hey here's this little hint over here but look over here heroes fighting each other woohoo um so that gets a little bit frustrating um the story the story starts really well for me and travels along really well but there's no real closure as the quote-unquote finale leads directly into Forever Evil. Uh, but yeah, as we said before, there's still some good character interactions between the heroes. Like, um, y- y- I-, I love the bits between Firestorm and, and um, the new Atom in some of the scenes. They're, they're cool. And her triple cross... I love that when she, re- you know, she's wagging her finger at the reader <laughs> when she reveals who she really is. I love that bit. Um, but yeah, there were still some questions. Like, I still don't buy that it was the outsider breaking into the Batcave. I still don't get <laughs> He looks too buff. I don't get that at all. Um, I still have a ton of questions about the Pandora's box itself. Um, and yeah, so... Uh, overall, yeah, I'm giving it a seven because it's 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 a gorgeous looking series, um, and there are some great fun moments. But I think, yeah, the the writing's a weaker point for me. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to give it a five just because I I think there's two things going on here. You've got the plot, which is um hammering away trying to do certain things, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've also got the writing, which is quite enjoyable along the way. Um, so as far as, I mean, the filler, as I said, is quite enjoyable, uh, but it is filler. And there's certain things that, uh, you know, if you pull this apart, it doesn't really make sense. The Pandora's box releases the seven deadly sins, but it's actually a portal to Earth. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. That's what I said before. Exactly. <laughs> drives me nuts. <laughs> and it's existed for, you know, millennia. So, but, uh, yeah, for, uh, for that reason, I think a lot of the writers are, are working against, um, a problem. Like I feel, um, Ray Fawkes is like the hero of this just because he had to write the Pandora book. 
and that would be so difficult because she is, you know, she's enigmatic. She's been around for millennia. She's, you know, she's cool. She's got weapons, but she appears she's got every magic gun. <laughs> yeah, but she really has no personality. And he gets around that by basically showing her throughout history and, uh, you know, her developing her skills and knowledge and encountering people like Vandal Savage in the past. And you know, I think he does a really good job with it. What's a pretty, you know, rough hand to be dealt to write a book about. So. Yeah, I'm really torn. So I, I would want to mark down the plotting, but uh, mark up the writing. So I think I just have to fall in the middle and say five. Uh, what about you, Scott? I would probably just about echo everything both of you guys said. I mean, for me, the biggest question, too, was, well, and, and Mike, you mentioned this. How did the box get to our Earth anyway in the first yes. place? Yes. <laughs> and, and, then, and then if at the end um, the outsider says, well, only someone from Earth 3, my universe, can open it because that's where it came from. Well, then how did Pandora open it? To yes. let the evil out in the first place. Exactly. It, it contradicted itself. So there yes. are little things like that that when it breaks down, I, I couldn't quite figure out. And then you guys mentioned it was still, for me, a fun read. Overall, I enjoyed it. It was a fun read. Um, the art was great, as we'll talk about in a second. Um, but so for me, I had to mark, I feel very comfortable with my score, and I nailed it right between you guys' score. I scored it a six. I felt like the plotting had some issues. There were some high points to the writing that, Paul, you mentioned, but still a lot of lingering questions and sort of plot holes um, that I just can't get past, that this confound me. So six is my score on writing. <laughs> Right, well, um, we've got the writing done, now let's look at the art. Now, I think the art is um, really good. Uh, it's not George Perez good, but it's pretty much there. But uh, I think one of the interesting things about this is uh, it kicked off with the Free Comic Book Day special, which included a uh, fold-out splash page of all the Justice League fighting. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, in that, you know, there's obviously decisions they made a year earlier that they sort of had to work out, okay, we need to work towards this point. And one of the weird things is that Aquaman is fighting Mera. And yes. <laughs> yes. And in the middle of the battle at the end, when they finally get to this point, we catch up with that, you know, forward scene. It's um, Martian Manhunter turns into Mirror for a minute, just so that the splash page makes sense. Yeah. I think someone <laughs> at some point went, hang on a minute, didn't a year or so ago we say that Mera was in that fight? Um, <laughs> she hasn't appeared in the entire story. Um, how are we going to fix this? Oh, it's okay. Martian Manhunter. Thank goodness for John Jones. <laughs> So somebody quick look at that picture and see what we screwed up and we can retroactively take care of it. Yeah. Um, you know, so the art is good, but it, the, there's problems as far as, you know, matching the story to the art at some points. Um, I love Gene Ha's art, so it's fantastic to see him involved. I love Mikhail Janin's art. Uh, you know, there's some beautiful art throughout. But overall, I'm going to give it an eight. Uh, you know, it's, it's very strong. What about you, Scott? Um, I also scored it an eight, and I would just... Uh, reiterate what you said. I, my, my, for me, it, my comparison, like you, is George Perez. Where is it compared to what he would do with this? And um, Yvonne Reese is a favorite of mine. I think he's exceptional. And Doug Monkey is very, very good as well. Um, Mikel Janin, as you said, is great. There was a little bit of discontinuity between some of them, but overall, um, I thought the the um, art was fantastic in this book. And, and like you said, Mike, I love that the covers matched up and went together. Yes. I love that stuff when it happens. Mm -hmm. um, again, I gave the score an eight. I thought I thought really this is a very strong um, from an art standpoint. 
And Mike, you want to bring this one home? Well, I, I, I guess I'm Mr. Generous for this episode because <laughs> I'm, I'm giving the art and covers a 10. Uh, okay, so the, the three-part poster covers, massive selling point for me. Love that stuff. Um, you, you know, Rice, Monkey, uh, and Janin. And I think this is where I discovered Mikel Janin stuff as, as well because I think the three of them just do a fantastic job. Um, there's massive fight scenes, in case we hadn't already mentioned it, between all the heroes, um, and there's so much detail in all of those it's just i love i I can't find um you know a fault with any anything in this i love the art in this storyline so i'm giving it a 10 awesome okay and now we come to the impact and legacy scott what do you think um again this one was one i was a little bit torn on um I kind of go through a couple of things that I think were positive points for me. It reintroduced Earth 3 and the Crime Syndicate, who I've always loved. I love being able to kind of play with those characters, make them evil, um, and have them have consequences of that evil. Instead of when we turn a good guy evil, well, you know he's not going to stay, and you know nothing bad's really going to happen. This is one that we can change up a little bit. Um, other than that, I felt like the legacy seemed to really be limited to just being a spark for another event. This thing could have just as well be titled Prelude to Forever Evil as an event instead it could have been. <laughs> when we look at Pandora, you know, one of our one of our supposed main characters, she was quickly snuffed out in the DC Rebirth. Although she did get an action figure along the way. So somebody made a little bit of a little bit of rights money off that. So um, the Phantom Stranger, this version was, uh, Paul had mentioned that earlier, with a, a, an origin that was a more more definitively defined him as Judas Iscariot, limped along a little bit longer. And then if you go back to the end of his series in, in the Future's End series, he basically reverted back to his previous version. He pulls out of his belt that amulet he always wore and says, Hi, I've had this the whole time from when I was traveling <laughs> through previous other worlds. Oh and, my now God. I'm, and now I'm the regular old Phantom Stranger again, and then he flies off. <laughs> um, right. But I don't know. And have we even seen the Phantom Stranger really at all since since the New Fifty Two and since this? I, I don't know. Um, and then we move on to the question. Um, as Paul, you mentioned earlier, this is the weakest version of the question that we have. I don't even really know what he was doing there. He was hardly <laughs> in the crossover. I don't know if the wreck they left him in has been picked up on. Um, there is a new question um, limited series out in the black label format, which addresses an, his origin again. Um, and I haven't read that yet, but, but so he's exists, but they change. And I suspect that convergence and then rebirth changed him again from this version here. So he didn't continue on. There are actually confused things. They had a character called Vic Sage in the new suicide squad as well. Who wasn't the question. It wasn't the question. That's right. I forgot. I forgot about that. So there again, let's muddy the waters some more here. Yeah. And then one of the characters that I really liked was the Adam slash Atomica, mm. but she was killed shortly after not to spoil in forever evil. Um, this version of Dr. Light I found interesting. He was snuffed out almost immediately. Um, pretty much everything this told us about as far back as the story, so way back that 10,000 years and, and all this buildup, was basically undone by convergence and or rebirth. So the main story only served to lead us into forever evil and was full of red herring. So for me, there were things I liked. I felt like they could have taken some things forward more, but they elected within the course of this story or immediate after ones to end it. So to me, there wasn't a lot of impact or legacy here. I scored this one a five. Ah. Okay, Mike, what about you? Uh, again, I'm probably being a bit too generous. I'm giving it a seven. Um, I thought uh, the impact at the time was, was 
really there. Uh, it had been hyped for at least a year from the free comic book day uh, book of 2012. So it, it hit pretty hard when it did finally arrive. Um, but yeah, Scott, you, you've summed it up perfectly. It's, it's more of a prologue to, to forever evil. Um, it, it kind of, you know, things that came out of it didn't last all that long. So I felt really torn on, on this one. So I kind of split the difference and, and went with seven. So, yeah. I'm sort of in between. I'm going six for this because I, I think um, it does have an impact and legacy and it's it's a very squiggly line from this one. Well, it's a straight line into Forever Evil, but then there's a squiggly line afterwards that keeps going up to the Dark Side War at least. And perhaps it goes into um, Rebirth, but um, yeah, it, it's getting very faint and dotted by then, but it's, it's still sort <laughs> of there. Um, so Jeff Johns was really, you know, he's starting to put some pieces into place that he can play with later. Um, and yeah, not to spoil too much. Getting ahead, there's the uh, the what's her name, Superwoman, the evil one from the Earth three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. she's pregnant at the end of that, and then yes. it becomes a a dangling plot thread about what's going to happen with her child. Which uh, yeah, that's that sort of comes from this. So you know, there is a bit of continuity. It is sort of mostly contained in the New Fifty Two, which is a sort of a bell jar of weirdness for um, the DC universe, but it's kind of there. I was just going to say, I was just going to ask you whether or not you thought the, pro- the plot thread of Superwoman being pregnant came from this or from Forever Evil, because that was never addressed in this. No. That came from, that came from Forever Evil. Yes, mm. yeah. I, I, I'm just thinking that, uh, you know, Jeff Johns is the building seeds. little you're pieces. You're thinking seeds. Yeah, yeah you're seeds. thinking seeds that were planted here that were maybe grown and developed more in the next one and grown a little bit more in the next one and so forth. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's six, so it's it's not that high a score for this, but yeah, that gives us all our total scores, so we can get them all together now. So Scott, you gave it six, six, eight, and five, which is twenty-five. Very generous. Mike gave it nine, seven, ten, and seven, <laughs> which comes to thirty-three. Mike, and... I can appreciate the nostalgia factor though, because <clears throat> as I score along with 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 Paul and Mike, and when you're there and the other guests, my Crisis on Infinite score Earth scores was a forty-eight out of fifty, and that is nostalgia. <laughs> No doubt about it. So I'm, I'm there with you, Mike. I get it. No worries. No, no worries. No judgment for Thank me. You. Thank we you, will sir. not. We will not be on our knees in front of the Council of Wizards and being cast <laughs> off aside for our sins. No worries. Um, and my score is um, a six, a five, an eight, and a six, which comes to twenty-five, which I have. Which gives us 12. We round it up, though, and we get uh, 13. 12.5 becomes 13. So add them all together. Oh, we've got another tie. So we come to 71 points, which basically pops this on the same footing. And I'm sorry about this, Frack, but the same footing as Final Night and Final Crisis. So, yeah. So uh, sitting there just between, so above Identity Crisis and below Our Worlds at War. So three-way tie. How about that? Jeez. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, of course, if you want to see the ladder, head on over to waitingfordoom.com. We have the ladder there under the little section called DCOCD, and you can see all the scores of all the episodes, and you can look at them in episode order or the rank order, and I highly recommend you do that. So, But anyway, we, we probably have some feedback, so I'll just... There'll be a pause now while I raise it all. I hope he's home.
Why does it sound like I'm using a phone in the UK? I told you never to call me again. Yeah, I know. And modern science has yet to create a device to measure how much I don't care. Look, I'm getting the trailer for this year's JL May together, and I assumed I had to make you a part of it since you're always in everybody's trailer or something. <laughs> well, look at you leading this year's JL May. Somebody's wearing his big boy pants. So, what's the theme? I sent you an email like a month ago. Like I even pay attention to anything you send me. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Infinite Crisis? No, Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I'm not following. Shocking. The theme this year, I'm, I'm going to, like I'm talking to a child. The theme this year is Countdown to Infinite Crisis. I thought it was a fascinating time period in DC's history. So a bunch of us are getting together to talk about the various specials and miniseries and crossovers that led up to Infinite Crisis. It's the event before the event. The whole thing is going to kick off on April 30th, 2020, with a special episode of Views from the Long Box covering the Countdown to Infinite Crisis 80-page giant. And from there, a whole bunch of shows that I will be adding in post-production will discuss these previously mentioned miniseries and crossover issues. And people actually agreed to this? Shockingly, yes! Well, it's probably a good thing that you're going to cover Countdown to Infinite Crisis instead of the Countdown series, because that was a train wreck. Yeah, you know, actually, that was my thinking, too. Now, are you going to help me with this trailer or not? Fine. I will help you with your little trailer. Good. Uh, don't worry, by the way. There won't be any dates for you to get wrong. I hate you so much. J.L. May 2020. Countdown to Infinite Crisis. The event before the event. This crossover kicks off on April 30th, 2020, on Views from the Long Box. And continues into Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, Pop Culture Affidavit, It All Comes Back to Superman, The Fan Holes Podcast, Justice's First Dawn, The Birds of Prey Podcast, Married with Comics, The Coffee and Comics Podcast, The Longbox Crusade, Task Force X, Relatively Geeky Presents, Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, and the Dr. DC Podcast. So we got some mail. We heard from Martin Gray on our Rot World episode, episode 40, which was our previous one. And he said, terrific show, i.e. I agree with everything you chaps say. This had great moments, less great moments, lots of excellent art, and an ending which would have benefited from trade dress pointing out that it was the ending. Worst yes. thing was the loss of Cliff Baker. That was bad form. And my main takeaway was that it went on and on and on. <laughs> Thanks, Martin. Yeah, we did agree with you, or you agreed with us. I'm not sure which. Yes. And we also heard from Jimmy McGlinchey, and he said, Excellent show as always. Rot World was a good crossover, but not really an event per se. As apart from Frankenstein, it did not affect the DC Universe in any way. As mentioned in the show, the main takeaway of Rot World was to promote Jeff Lemire, and to a lesser extent, Scott Snyder, as his work on Batman has already brought him to that level, into the pantheon of great DC writers. Looking forward to the next episode. I hope all of you at DCOCD are keeping safe in these troubled times. I, I think we are. Are you, Mike? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, doing the social distancing and, um, yeah, um, trying to avoid people, which is not a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And our final comment was from Tim Price, and he said, Have I read Rotwell? 
No, I haven't. Will I now? Not likely. Did I enjoy this podcast about it? Definitely. And we're now well past when I stop reading DC events, so for future episodes, feel free to replace Rotwell with the name of the event in question, and you can read that as my feedback. Efficient, that's me. I must admit, this did sound more like a crossover than event, not a criticism, since the line does get fuzzy, so who am I to say? But it did spur a different question, which you might have addressed before. Why didn't Worlds Collide, the milestone DC crossover, get the DC OCD treatment? Paul, stop. No, I'm a koala. No, my pancreas. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Worlds Collide. Um, Yeah, I thought that was a very Superman-centric... Um, it hit around was it Action Comics 700 and I remember utterly not enjoying it in any way um, and I think it was at, oh. at a time when the Superman books were really um, spiralling down in uh, my estimation of quality and enjoyment so um, yeah it's it's there with Millennium Giants as in one of those events which is just um, a, a bit too wretched to enjoy if that's, that's <laughs> yeah I mean we did make some choices I mean Mike was a huge fan of Rotworld. He wanted Rotworld on the list, so yep. that's why it was there. Part of my contract. Um, I'm a massive fan of Cosmic Odyssey, and that's why Cosmic Odyssey was on the list. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I don't think Mike has any of those comics. And I'd... Well, I, I was reading some Milestone books way back when, but I'd never, uh, uh, yeah, I've never read that crossover, so um, it kind of came up and, and out of our initial discussions for the show lists um, a long time ago. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a fair call, Paul. It's, um, yeah, well, why cover, well, we've covered other wretched things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, look, there are other events that, you know, we haven't covered. So, you know, um, I, th- I think we've got more than enough still to come up uh, to make up for those that we are not covering. Yeah, I mean, there's, I probably regret not covering the Janus Directive, just because that's a favourite story of mine, but it just didn't feel eventy enough for, the, for it, and I don't think um, the Worlds Collide did much for the Milestone universe, which I think it was actually a bit diminished by crossing over with the DC universe at that point, so yeah, that's probably my thoughts on it. Hmm. Okay. Anything to add there, Scott? No, I agree with you guys. I mean, I think there's editorial decisions that have to be made sometimes, and it, it is sometimes difficult to de- determine or define what is an event versus a uh, a miniseries, or you know, is a miniseries itself an event, but it's separate from the... I, I don't know. I think it's hard, and you just have to decide as you go. Yeah, I mean, we certainly made the choice to limit all the Batman crossovers, because there are a lot of Batman crossovers, yeah. like Contagion and Legacy and things like that, but they ostensibly they all sort of feel the same once you've covered one so mm-hmm. so we tried to do batman events that were different or you know uh, really upsetting like war games <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anyway yeah that, that's a bit of uh, behind the curtain at, um, how we run this but yeah anyway um that's probably it for the show so scott where can people find uh, you if they like more of you well, like a minor Jeff Johns written character, I appear occasionally on various shows across the uh, podcasting multiverse. I usually show up and am immediately moved on. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm mostly on, I've uh, been on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I've been on uh, Midnight the Podcasting Hour, the Film and Water Podcast, Give Me That Star Trek, FW Team Up, um, MASHCast, uh, JLI Bwahaha Podcast. 
Um, and then also on Twitter, you can find me. Um, my handle is at the mind of Scott X, where depending on how busy I am with my real life, transversing the multiverse, podcasting multiverse, you may <laughs> find me tweeting something here and there. Um, often I will spam up your uh, evening, um, Saturday evening, Saturday evening in the United States Twitter feed while I live tweet um, old episodes of Buck Rogers and um, some other old sci-fi shows. So you can find me there. Wow. Okay. And Mike, where do people find you right now? Uh, right now they can find me in my office doing this podcast, but normally I'm on Twitter at AvantGov. Um, uh, uh, people would probably know that Paul and I do Waiting for Doom and The Gary Show as well, and I'm usually on, on um, here on DCOCD, so yeah, you can find the associated Twitter handles for those shows, and yeah, catch us there. Say hi to Wilfred at WFD Pod if you check that one out. Um, and yeah, uh, we're also usually lurking around uh, at uh, WaitingForDoom.com. Mm, yes. Um, so Doom Patrol, we talk about that a fair bit. Uh, okay. Anyway, next time on the feed, uh, well, it says Waiting for Doom, but I think it's is it a Gary show, Mike? Maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Oh, God. <laughs> maybe. Okay, it might be a Gary show. <laughs> that's that's very committal. Very, very committal there. <laughs> we promise you it might be. Yeah. <laughs> red herring. Red herring. They're throwing out red herring. <laughs> uh, otherwise, we'll be doing a Waiting for Doom. And when we come back for a DCOCD, to surprise no one, we're doing Forever Evil. <gasps> <gasps> oh, sorry, wrong show. <laughs> Not occasionally evil, forever evil. Um, forever. <laughs> Anyway, uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at DCOCDcast. You can send us emails to DCOCDcast at gmail.com. And, of course, waitingfordoom.com, where most people leave their comments on the, the show posting. So check us out there. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us for um, DCOCD. I'll, I'll disappear.